When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to New York. Attention fans, this is the Devil's State of Mind Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Now here's your host, Neil Villapiano! NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. And there's a lot of great opportunities for same game parlays, especially in those tightly contested games when you got things like Celtics versus Lakers or Knicks versus Nets, Grizzlies versus Warriors. So many opportunities to get in, in on all these same game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with promo code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. Back-to-back episodes with a special guest, Devils fans, especially with this week off, and it really sucks that we're off this long while some other teams get a chance to play some games. Um, You know, it it gives me a chance to bring out some more guests. I know you guys really enjoy it. And so I've been wanting to have this guy on the podcast for a while. Uh, A lot of you do know him on Twitter. He gives some really, really insightful things, and I'm very excited to have him on. It is with great pleasure that we welcome on Mr. CJ Totoro. CJ, welcome to the Devil State of Mind podcast. First and foremost, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it, bro. Of course. Again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on the podcast. We do appreciate it. So my first question to you, CJ, is simply this. Give us your overall feeling, looking at where the Devils are right now with this All-Star break. Give us your overall feeling of this team. Yeah, so I mean, I did a couple like things preseason and at the end of last season, and I was probably one of the more optimistic people. But I would be, you know, lying if I were to say that I saw this uh, part coming, right? And I think it's important to take that kind of bird's eye view of things because when you're in the middle of it, there's a lot of, you know, it's a roller coaster, so you tend to get wrapped up in the moment, regardless. But mm-hmm. now we got this break, we got some time to, you know, just do some bookkeeping here and t- take account of where we are at the end. And you know, we're we're right in the running for first in the division. The Bruins kind of r- ran away with things in the conference, but you know, outside of them, we're right with every other team in the NHL in terms of both goals in terms of shots and chances, right? There's, there's really not too many teams that you can say are at a different playing uh, field than us. So uh, I think that I've I've said that, you know, we've, we've got the deadline coming up and, you know, if if we can add great, but uh, I'm, you know, this is a team that won 13 games in a row. So if, Mm -hmm. if we're healthy, I see no reason to think that there's, there's a team in this league that we would not be able to compete with uh, in a seven game series. So I, you know, there's there's obviously things that we can correct there's there's pros and cons with every team uh in the history of the league but uh if you're making a pros and cons list of how the season's gone so far and your pros list doesn't massively outweigh your cons list then you're looking at the wrong stuff 
I think all those points are very valid. Uh, I, I won't lie in saying that I was definitely kind of in the middle in terms of trying to figure out where this Devils team would be this year. And ultimately, I wanted them to have meaningful games in uh, March and April. And I think with the way the season has gone, I feel pretty good about having meaningful games, uh, hopefully deep into April as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. And you did also mention the trade deadline coming up in a couple of weeks. And obviously, with the situation, and it's funny because, you know, I, I spoke to Alex Chauvency of the Hockey Writers in the latest episode that we just had on Monday, and we were talking about Bo Horvat potentially coming to New Jersey. Well, since that episode came out, Bo Horvat is now a New York Islander in kind of a, it kind of a head-scratching trade in some degrees. Um, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that, CJ, because I know it doesn't really involve the Devils, but... You kind of brought it up, I think, even today. Uh, someone might have asked you, or you just answered in general about a, tr- a Timo, uh, excuse me, a Bo Horvat trade to the Islanders. Does it affect the Devils in terms of trying to trade for Timo Meyer? So, give me your kind of overall thoughts of that situation with Bo Horvat going to the Islanders, and then overall, how much of an effect, if at all, it has um, on the Devils in terms of trying to trade for a guy like Timo Meyer. Yeah, so I think uh, Devils fans should probably be relatively familiar with the kind of move that was just pulled, having uh, particularly those who whose fandom goes back to the Lou Lamorello days, right? right. Uh, I think the the most head scratching aspect of it is just that if you are looking at the landscape of the NHL, I wouldn't describe the Islanders as having been one Bo Horvat away from competing for a cup. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure if Bo, Har- Bo Horvat puts them over the edge in terms of making the playoffs. I still think that, I don't know, I haven't t- taken a look at the mo- the way that the models have changed post-trade uh, mm-hmm. or the way that Vegas odds, for that matter, have, ch- have changed post-trade, but I would imagine that it upgrades them from relatively comfortably just outside the bubble to maybe squarely inside the bubble. <laughs> right. So I'm not sure that that move seems worth all of the futures uh, mm-hmm. that they gave up. Uh, the, for, for From Vancouver's perspective, I think it, it makes enough sense, right? Like it, if they're, if they've described themselves as having to try to rebuild on the fly and they don't perceive him as part of the long-term plan, then I think this does give things a little bit of a jump start. For the Islanders, mm-hmm. I, it's just, they've decided that they're, they're a win now and they're, they're going to capitalize on whatever window they have at the moment. Um, yeah. And if they're better than I think they are, then they'll be proven right. Uh, and if they're not, then, uh, I'll be proven right. Uh, in terms of how it impacts the devils, uh, my take on Twitter was basically that it doesn't because it's a wildly different scenario. You'll see some people mention that it is going to, you know, quote unquote, set the market. But my perspective on that is just that they're totally different markets that we're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, one of them is an unrestricted free agent. One of them is a restricted free agent. One of them is a center. One of them is a winger. Both of them comfortably inside those positions, by the way. It's not like they're hybrid forwards. Right. One takes almost no face-offs. One is one of the best face-off men in the league, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the two teams that are involved in the trades are different from both perspectives. Vancouver's kind of trying to rebuild on the fly here a little bit. They've got a good, strong, young core. San Jose's a little bit further behind. They're they're their eyes are way more towards the future than Vancouver's. And then the Islanders are trying to get everything done now. They're trying to squeeze in some more contention and the Devils are right at the beginning of their contention window. So all four teams involved are different. The two main players involved are the different and the assets that the teams have to provide are different. So I don't, I, I never like it when people talk about setting the market because odds are that different teams involved in different trades are just going to have so fundamentally different conversations in terms of where those teams want to be and what assets they have that it doesn't make sense to really compare those kinds of things unless you're just using it to give a reference frame for saying people around the league seem to be saying that what the devils are offering tends to be close to what the Islanders offered, in which case just descriptively, that's fine. But if you're saying that they're offering that because that's what the Islanders provided for Bo Horvat, I don't think that really makes a whole lot of sense. I was definitely a little surprised that it ended up being the Islanders because there weren't really necessarily a whole lot of rumors speculating that the Islanders would be the ones that would heavily go after Bo Horvat. I kind of took it as a more of a move of desperation on Lula Morello's part, considering where the Islanders are, considering all the this, this situation that he's, for the most part, put them in and everything like that. I think that he definitely was trying to hopefully 
you know, push the pendulum in favor of them making the playoffs. Now, obviously, there is some questions as to whether or not they're going to be able to sign him long term and whether or not Bo Horvat even feels comfortable signing in New York, uh, signing on the island long term. And Bo Horvat even said he actually expected to be a Vancouver Canuck um, for life, even beyond the season. So I don't know if there was just some misunderstanding at that point, but it doesn't matter now. Um, I do think the Canucks actually got a pretty decent amount for Bo Horvat. They got Bo uh, Beauvillier, which I think at this point it was time for Anthony Beauvillier to move. I think the Islanders had grew impatient with his inconsistency. And then Anturati, again, it just felt like to me that they gave up on him too quickly. I know he didn't play a whole lot up until this point in the Islanders uh, system, but you have to make that move. And then as far as getting draft picks, that's what Vancouver wanted at the end of the day, most importantly, because of, like you said, trying to get into a rebuild. Um, so again, it'll only depend on how the rest of the season goes for the Islanders. And then, you know, if they're able to get a long-term deal with, uh, with Horvat moving forward. And in terms of what you're mentioning with the devils, yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. I, I thought at first it would have set the market, but then I thought about it more and I said, I mean, the only thing it does is that it gives the Sharks a at least some understanding as to what they could potentially get for what Timo Meyer is. But again, it's it's a different position, different situation. Uh, the Sharks have made it very clear that they are willing to allow any team that makes a deal with um, the Sharks for Timo Meyer that they could speak to him about an extension, which could obviously amp up the value of the trade depending on certain aspects of it. But I think overall it'll be, it'll be different, but it definitely is something interesting to keep in mind in terms of what uh, the devils may have to give up for Timo Meyer. And that kind of brings me to my next point, talking about Timo Meyer, CJ, you know, at this point, Elliot Friedman said, even after the deal for uh, Bo Horvat, that the devils are still the favorites to acquire Timo Meyer, either at the deadline or before or whatever the case may be. In, in your opinion, how do you see this all going down? Like, do you expect that Timo Meyer ends up being a devil? And if so, what do you think the devils are going to end up giving up for Timo Meyer? Um, and in terms of a long-term deal, do you think that they'll be able to get a deal done at the same time? You know, not necessarily a sign and trade, but kind of like when JG Pajot got traded from Ottawa to the Islanders and immediately signed a six-year deal and that was all taken care of. Like, how do you see it all going down? Yeah, so... I mean, it, it's always tough to know when you don't know what, you know, those conversations are looking like. And especially when you don't even know what the like what the priorities of those two people being the two GMs uh, are going to be for those mm -hmm. uh, for some of those specifics, because you don't know if um, you know, I don't I don't know how much Fitz is trying to make sure that this is going to be a piece he's talked a lot about building for the future, right? So I don't know right. what his plan is for Timo Meyer in terms of, does he want to use that as a piece of the negotiations with Jesper Bratt? Is it at all just, you know, how much is it about this season, if at all, mm -hmm. or is it really just about building for the future? Um, and how much is he going all in at this point? So, I, I mean, I would expect, I, I do agree that the Devils are the favorite, uh, but if I'm thinking of it from a probabilistic standpoint, I would describe the, them as having like the plurality as opposed to the majority, right? So mm -hmm. if I'm, I would take the Devils versus any other team to acquire him, but I might still take the field over the Devils, okay? Right? So like maybe we're 45 percent, maybe you know Buffalo is 20 percent, mm -hmm. maybe you know, and, and throw around a couple of other names that I've been talking about uh, mm -hmm. acquiring him, right? Um, so. You know, I, I think a lot of times when people see a team leading the conversation, they end up with a little bit, their probabilistic internal compass is a little bit uh, yeah. miscalibrated because mm -hmm. a team being the favorite doesn't mean that they are probably going to get him, right? That's right. Those, those, those are different sentences. If we did get him, I would expect that it would be largely a futures package, um, including uh probably a back end, but relatively young NHLer, uh, someone like a Jesper Boquist, um, and, uh, and definitely draft picks, uh, draft pick, right. perhaps multiple draft picks. Right. Um, I think that, you know, at this point, Fitzy knows that our, we've officially entered the window. Um, right. and so the that putting guys in to maximize the quality of the current team now and for the near future 
has now become more of a priority than enhancing the value for the far future. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I, I think that answers most of the no, threads that does. were involved there. Yeah, it does. And it's, and it's definitely a, um, you know, there's, there's constantly been things that have been thrown out about, you know, what are the devils willing to give up? What are the sharks looking for? Um, I know that uh, it was reported earlier. I think it was, I don't necessarily say it was reported earlier today, but uh, actually somebody who works with me at the Hockey Podcast Network, Shen Peng, who also uh, does SJ Hockey Now or San Jose Hockey Now here on the Hockey Podcast Network covering the Sharks. Uh, he kind of put out an article that said that basically right now the Sharks are looking for three pieces for Timo Meyer, which at this point it's sounding like a first-rounder, a one-grade-A or two-grade-B prospects, or one good prospect and a young established NHL player, which I think – I would be fair to say it's very reasonable for the Devils, regardless of what route they want to take with that, because the Devils obviously have a lot in their prospect system and have a good amount of um, pieces in there, you know, playing right now that I think could definitely be beneficial to San Jose, who clearly needs a jolt when it comes to their rebuild. And if they're able to pull off a trade for Eric Carlson, that would certainly get them probably more than what they would get for Timo Meyer, just because of the contract and also just the productivity that Eric Carlson has had. Um, this year. I'm not saying that that's what you're going to see moving forward at him being 32 years of age, but it, it that's really where the Sharks stand. So it's kind of an interesting um, situation with that. And again, we'll just see how things progress over the next couple of weeks. I don't expect a deal to happen until the deadline, to be quite frank. Uh, I don't think the Devils feel like that they need to urgently get a deal done now because I don't think that they're in, in a panic because, and I mentioned this, and I don't know if you would agree with it, CJ, like actually you did kind of mention it earlier, the Devils have had all this success without having to make a major move during the season. They made all their moves during the offseason. They got, you know, Andre Plot. They got Vitek Vanacek. They got John Marino. They got all these different guys. And they've all kind of worked together in one way, shape, or form and have this success. And I've said to Devils fans that if the Devils don't get Timo Meyer, I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. And I think a lot of people would agree with me that if we don't get one of these guys at the deadline and we just stick with the majority of what we got – you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. And if we don't make a run, a deep run in the playoffs, again, this is the first year of our compete. And we have options in the offseason. Like I mentioned, some of the big name free agents that could be available, trades that could happen at the, you know, during the offseason, which gives us a lot more time to figure it out. All these different things. So I, I would say to Devils fans to kind of, you know, not not get, I wouldn't say like not get too excited, but let's just see where things progress and let's see how, how much Fitzy is willing to go to get a guy like Timo Meyer. Now, the other interesting part of it, which CJ, you've talked a lot about on Twitter, is how does this affect Jesper Bratt? Now, I'm agreeing with you in the sense of it doesn't necessarily affect Jesper Bratt that much in terms of getting a new contract. It doesn't sound like Fitz is too worried about not having money or opportunities to get Jesper Bratt signed. It sounds like Bratt and his agents want a deal done in New Jersey. They don't really want to do anything else. Um, but it seems like also people are worried that we're not going to be able to acquire Timo Meyer, get him to sign a long-term deal, and then also do it with Jesper Bratt. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not too... I guess I wouldn't be too concerned about the bookkeeping uh, aspect of it. Um, they're not that cap-strapped in comparison to some other competing teams. There's definitely some uh, movement that, you know, there, there's definitely some pieces that they can move to to make that kind of space happen. Uh, a couple mm -hmm. of assets, and a couple of guys are coming off the books this coming year. You might see some names right. not come back that some people might want to come back um, or that, or maybe that people don't want to come back, you know, like a Miles Wood type guy. Right. Um, uh, but some of those guys that are currently on the books and aren't going to be on the books, it's going to free up enough space such that if they wanted to make it happen, they could make it happen. Now, that's a separate issue from if they want to make it happen. And I, I'm de so I, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, Fitzgerald definitely wants to resign Jesper Bratt, right? Like he said right. multiple times, uh, he thinks he's an important part of the core. Jesper Bratt has said that he wants to be here uh, long term. But based on what, reporting we do have we don't have the exact hard numbers but um you know it's been reported that last negotiations jesper bratt was asking for jack hughes money right so that's around let's say just in the neighborhood of eight million for, right. for an eight-year deal right um that was before that was when last year could reasonably be called a fluke right right now it can't be called a fluke nope. so now, now he's a point per game top line winger 
that's right. 24 years old and this is his bag. This is his money-making deal, right? Yes. So I'm, if he was asking for 8 million last time, I'm, I'm guessing he's going to ask for somewhere in the neighborhood of 9 million this time. Right? He, he definitely, I think, would probably ask for more than what Jack Hughes is making. Yeah, point. listen, if he was asking in that neighborhood last time, there's no way he's not asking for more this coming yeah. time. So It's almost like we wish now that we would have given him what he was asking for. Right, right, yeah, I mean, so again, we, we don't know exactly what he was asking for. So I, I, I would hesitate to just immediately blame the, the general manager for not signing him long term. Of course. I was operating under the impression that, that basically Jack's deal would have gotten it done. I don't know how close they got to offering that. And I don't know how much more than that they were asking mm-hmm. for. So, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what that contract looked like. But, yeah, it, it, it's going to look like we should have signed him um, <laughs> last offseason uh, right. when when, th- when everything is said and done. Um, but s- some of what I saw Fitzy talking about in the media and people like Pierre Lebrun have been uh, opining similarly is stuff like, uh, you know, that they don't want guys making too much more than uh, Jack Hughes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is like a philosophical point that, you know, Jack right. Hughes is our superstar. He's making $8 million. It doesn't make sense for a winger uh, benefiting from Jack Hughes to make sub- substantially more than uh, $8 million, right? And that that's where I ended up in a Twitter rabbit hole, right? Like yeah. that part. And we, we can go in any direction that you want with that. But like basically to me, it's just, you know, Jack Hughes signed when he was all potential. He had never produced anything close to a point per game. He of was course. injured at the time of that contract. Um, Jesper Bratt has now been a point per game player over the course of mm-hmm. two seasons. Uh, he's in a fundamentally different situation. Jack Hughes is going to be able to make more money in his next contract, right? Because he's still going to have plenty of career He'll left. He'll still be in the prime of his career by yeah, the time exactly. his contract comes up. Right. So he's going to be, what, like 28, something like that? 28, when, 29. Yeah. yeah when he's done, he's going to be able to get another bag. Just for Brad, this is his shot, right? Yeah. So there's any number of reasons that these are not analogous situations. Uh, but that's why I brought him up as a, you know, uh, as someone who might be impacted by Timo Meyer because Timo Meyer is immediately eligible for his uh, $10 million tendering offer, right? Like that's right. just his legal <laughs> right so if he's gonna accept less than that that's because he's saying all right this is for the devils i think we can get a cup and i'm gonna help by taking a slight discount because jack hughes their superstar is making this yeah. so i don't think saying that we don't want anyone making less than jack makes sense unless you get someone that also thinks that right like right so if timo comes here and he buys in now you're saying to jesper in those negotiations all right listen whether or not it made sense he bought it <laughs> so balls in your right. court. Right. He could say, look, we have several guys on our books that have bought into what we're trying to do long term and they're taking less money than their value. I know uh, the athletic on one of their cards recently said that Jack Hughes was playing it like he's worth $15 million a year. Um, and he's making only eight, but Jack Hughes right now is not going to complain about it because he's the superstar of a team that is just beginning its championship window. And, you know, if Timo buys in, is making less than what his market value would be, then that tells you again that that they're buying into this team is going to be good long term and we're going to have many years of being successful. I think, I don't know if you would agree, CJ, but it's kind of feeling like that Fitzgerald's trying to take the Boston approach in a way, not necessarily forcing guys to take lesser money um, to try to, to try to win, but kind of in that same type of formula. Yeah, so I, I think that you know people have brought up Boston a bunch of times, um, and I think that I, I know Boston talks about that, like Brad Marchand has has mentioned it yeah. in the past. But if you just look at their books, it's it, it doesn't really seem to be coming through that these guys are taking discounts, except for the veterans who are you know you have like you know Bergeron, Krejci, like these guys obviously yeah, yeah they're taking this one year deals yep yeah cuz they're cup hunting so they're like why am i gonna if the whole point of me coming back is to get a Stanley Cup why am i gonna handcuff my team so obviously right. yeah they're taking discounts but like Brad Marchand had never gotten anywhere close to a point per game when he signed his 8 year deal back yeah. like whatever 5 years ago like people think of him as Brad Marchand now cuz he's been Brad Marchand for a while but his breakout happened the next year they got right ridiculously lucky <laughs> with that deal. He didn't of take course. a discount. He was just a lot better, right? It's than the he same was type of thing signed, with David right? Pasenak in a way. He's been constantly underpaid yeah. and he, and they signed him before he took off for, he really operated to like where he is now, where it's like, Oh yeah, he's playing at a much higher level than what he's yeah, being. Paid. Absolutely. So listen, I guess the, so the people that are comparing us to Boston and saying the Boston cap culture, come back to me after this off season, right? 
if David Pasternak takes less than eight figures, then I'll be like, all right, you know what? Boston seems to have the answers here. Boston gets people to buy into their cap culture. Yeah. If he gets like the 11.5, 12 million that he's, that he's worth on the market, then it's, then it's bullshit, right? <laughs> then, right exactly. Yeah. Then they pay it whatever just, market is, but they have veterans. It's just like, you know, he, did he want to stay in Boston? Yeah. But Boston wasn't going to, Boston would say to him, Oh, you have to take less than market value. And he's probably like, I don't want to take less than market value, Yeah. which I would, which nobody would blame him if he took, if you took market value, not a single person would say that's a ridiculous move, unless it was more about just winning, because that's that's really a question mark in itself um, with regard to that. Yeah, so, well, like, people think that these guys have like like David Pasternak is from where is he? He's he's European, right? Like he's from correct. Czechia or something. <laughs> like, yeah, he's from Czech. Yeah, yeah, correct. Right. So, I, like, why would you think he has any like really fundamental internal allegiance to Boston? Like, he's he has a family, right? There's a big difference right. between 12 million and 9.5 million, right? right? He's going to take his bag if he in, in hockey money. <laughs> I think a lot of people, especially the people who are who are who watch hockey or they see money outside of, you know, who are coming from the outside, people see 9, 10, 11 million dollars and they say, "What's the big deal? That's not even that much." And it's like, "No, in hockey terms, that's a crap load." Like yeah. I always say this, if somebody's getting paid 10 plus million dollars like Connor McDavid, that's the supermax. NBA terms, that's the supermax. That's literally you are paying one of the top three players in the NHL as much money as you humanly possible. And I think that the thing for Pasternak um, is simply that does he feel that the culture in Boston is more important to him than getting what he is worth being paid? Because he has been grossly underpaid for the better part of his career because he's playing in Boston. Now I've mentioned it before because the devils were mentioned last, I think it was April in that crazy report from the athletic about would the devils be a team that would jump at the opportunity to acquire at the time it was a trade, but eventually bringing a guy like Postnock. And I say to myself, as much as I want Postnock, because I feel like he would be a difference maker on this team long-term are the devils. If the devils are not willing to pay Jesper Bratt, Jack Hughes money, how in the world would they be okay with paying David Pasternak $11 million a year long-term? Like, that's kind of what I'm saying with that. So, I mean, it's, is it possible? But it's, again, I think anybody that would come to New Jersey at this point, long-term would have to take less money just because they're trying to fit everybody in like Jesper Bratt. Yeah. So I guess that's, that's a different type of uh, negotiating point, right? Like, so if you're saying that we can't have people making too much more than Jack because Jack's really good and he's not making that much money, I don't think that in the negotiating room, that's going to hold that much weight. If you're right. saying we're trying to build a contender and you're going to help us build a contender, if you just take a little bit less so that that gives us just a little bit more to add one more piece, right? It, tell, it gives us the difference between mm -hmm. adding a $4 million guy and a $3 million guy in the off season. Mm -hmm. And that's some for, depending on the asset, that could be the difference between a top six and a bottom six forward, you right. know? So um, getting people to buy into that and saying, you know, listen, we're already at the cap ceiling we're going to need you to help us out a little bit. We want you bad, but we also need, you know, we'll, you could even be like, listen, we're, we're willing to give you that money, but if you take a little bit less, you, you're going to be more likely to get a Stanley cup. Right. right. Um, so, and that's the kind of message that I think, you know, Fitzy's trying to cultivate yeah. uh, in the public, which is why you're seeing some of these quotes flying around now at this point. And I'm not against him operating in that way either, because at the same time, all of us Devils fans want to win. There's no question about it. I mean, it, especially if you're a younger Devils fan, you have kind of grown up with not a whole lot of success in the time that you've watched the team. And now that you have the opportunity to see a team for the long term be very competitive to the point where they could, you know, win a Stanley Cup or multiple, whatever, however things, you know, plan out. So multiple it's all about Stanley Cups, multiple right. Stanley Cups. <laughs> I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic. That's literally how I've been operating. Caution to the wind. It's multiple Stanley Cups, all right? Exactly, exactly. And I've. this is, again, another reason why I said if the Devils struck out on Timo Meyer, at least at the deadline, and we don't end up getting anybody majorly impactful, there's always the offseason. And that's what Fitzgerald has normally done since he took over as the Devils general manager. Now, he's never been in a position to make a hockey trade. This is like kind of the first time where he's really in a position to do something kind of big in a trade in the middle of the season. In you know, as opposed to us being sellers at the deadline, we are now 
one of, if not the top buyer, rumored at the deadline. I mean, Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff said that the Devils are one of the teams interested in acquiring Patrick Kane, even at this point. The funny thing about Patrick Kane is that he's considered to be a backup option to the Devils if we don't get Timo Meyer. If the Devils don't get Timo, they might look to him, Brock Besser, maybe a couple other guys, depending, um, to potentially go after. I don't think it's necessarily Timo or nothing, but I think also Timo is probably, you know, plan A, B, maybe even C, and then everything else just kind of follows under that. But again, Fitzgerald is not talking like he wants a rental. He's talking about getting a guy and then having him long-term. And it's possible that Timo could be there in free agency, but he, like you said, he's an RFA. So if we don't get, so if we have to get him in the offseason, we still have to give up something for him, maybe less than what we would get in a trade with San Jose right now. But at the same time, it would be a pain in the ass because then we'd have to figure it out. And this is where, again, we wish that Jesper Bratt was signed right now because then we could have a better understanding as to where the cap is going to be for us. And it is important to mention to everybody listening, and I mentioned in the last episode, but I mentioned again, Bally Sports is going under when it comes to coverage of the NHL moving forward. So if you had hopes that the salary cap was going to go up as much as Gary Bettman was talking about like about six months ago, that's not going to happen. And that's something to keep in mind moving forward, that the salary cap is going to continuously only go up a very little bit until we can start to get more coverage and more you know sponsorships and things like that. And especially with the lack of production from ESPN and even TNT when it comes to coverage of the National Hockey League, that also makes things very tricky. So there's a lot that goes into this stuff. Um, but I guess, CJ, my kind of like my second to last question to you is simply this, because we were talking about um, options other than Timo Meyer. How likely do you think it's possible that the Devils may just end up not backing out necessarily, but just deciding that they want to ride with this core and the likelihood of them maybe trying to go after a big name in free agency as a next during this off season, as opposed to swinging for the fences in this uh, trade deadline. So, yeah, so I think that there's definitely, I, I, I think that there's definitely a chance that they would wait to add the big piece until the off season. I think that they want to add a big piece. I think that they, they believe that they're one extra top six guy um, mm-hmm. away from being the cream of the crop, right? Like, cause they've got, they've really got three guys right now in Hughes, Bratton, Heischer. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, and one of those guys kind of needs to drive the the bus himself, right? Like, right. so for a little while, Hughes and Brat were making magic together and Heischer was dragging Zetterland into tar to being one of the most efficient lines in the NHL somehow. <laughs> right? Um, right. So it would be we want both of our centers to have a winger to 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 mow over the field with right so mm-hmm. i think that fitzy thinks he's one winger away from having a really dominant top six and he's going to want to add that piece uh at some point but this is a long-term thing so uh, i think the only reason that we're talking about at the deadline is because timo meyer is available at the deadline and he might Correct. not be after the deadline right right so, it's not the deadline that's important. It's the asset that's important. And the deadline just right. happens to be the environment in which that asset is available at the moment. So that could wait until the off season. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they'll just stand Pat though. Um, uh, in a, and that was the question I was going to bring up because I think the devils, I don't think even if they get Timo, I don't think that's the only move that they make. That's the mm-hmm. thing. I, I know that people talk about potentially bottom six help because especially with the lack of production from miles wood, uh, Michael McLeod is fine, especially because he's our best centerman. So I'm not, but I, but I'm not worried about him. Eric Halla has definitely been a massive, I don't want to say disappointment, but he just has not been what production we, disappointment. He's production been, disappointment. Yeah. Correct. Especially because he plays so much with Jack Hughes mm. on his wing that it just, it's not helping us. And also the question about the backup goalie. Um, I know that Alex Chauvency basically said to me that, the chances of the Devils doing something with the goaltending is pretty slim. I think that they would, if they're going to address that long term, they'll probably do it in the off season as opposed to trying to find something now. Um, I mentioned that the Devils have been rumored with uh, Carly Vimelka from Arizona, as well as John Gibson to an extent. Although I seem, I think John Gibson seems more like not necessarily a pipe dream, but a very unlikely situation, at least during the deadline. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on what the de- what other moves the Devils could do because I know everybody's talking about Timo Meyer, Timo Meyer, Timo Meyer, but I think there's other things the Devils 
could and maybe in some degree should do at this deadline to kind of round out the team. Yeah, so I think uh, in uh, on NJ.com, uh, Ryan Novozinski was talking about yeah. he had a conversation with Brendan Smith, and Brendan Smith said that at the deadline, he, he always likes to see guys add a little bit of uh, a little bit of grit to the to the bottom six, some mm-hmm. some bigger guys, maybe some guys with uh, with playoff experience. Uh, so. Um, Interestingly, I, I don't know if the, the irony eluded him at the moment, but uh, um, among the defense, the guy that we would acquire at the deadline would probably be the guy taking his roster spot. Yeah. Um, but Signing him to a two-year deal does not look very good right now. Yeah. Um, so, But I do think that the kind of guys that we would add are guys that we would add to the bottom six. Now, what they might do is different from what I would do. So I've been bringing up uh, you know, guys that I think – could help to get rid of our need for guys like Michael McLeod, right? Um, mm. So, like, you know, McLeod is McLeod is a decent penalty killer. He's a good face-off man, and you can even see that we use him sometimes in like three on three as a fogo guy, right? As a face-off, right? He wins guy. the face-off to start overtime leads, and immediately right? goes and to the bench, fuck yeah. off the ice as soon as possible, yeah. right? <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, but, and then the reason for that is because you do not want him on the ice. No, you don't want Michael McLeod on three on three. He does right. have some speed, but he doesn't have that much speed. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, you know, if we could have a guy that had the, um, that had the face off acumen and the, the, you know, the defensive responsibility uh, of, uh, of a Michael McLeod, but also was actually impactful at five on five. Uh, that would be, uh, in my opinion, a, a, a tremendous upgrade because the reason we keep needing to trot him out there and his line out there is because we have no other right-handed face-off guys. And our, right. our coaching staff is very, um, you know, they're very cognizant of which side of the ice the, it, uh, you're on for the face-off and, um, and w- you know, who, you're, who the face-off is going to be against if you're home and you get last change, uh, right. which zone, offensive, defensive zone. So, you know, a lot of times the best offensive uh, player on another team is going to be, you know, a lefty. They'll be taking it from the from their left circle, which means that uh, McLeod's going to need to be in there to combat that. And so mm-hmm. we just keep getting backed into that corner over and over again because all of our other right. face-off men are lefties, right? So mm-hmm. I think that give just give it, doing things like that that give the coach a few more options right right now if michael cloud is in a michael mcleod is in a slump which he is most of the time <laughs> then you have no option you have no plan right. b for if there, there's no face-off guy that you can depend on in those situations which again yeah. i don't i wouldn't really care about that much i think that you know handedness does matter when you start to dig down to it you won't see it on public stats but in private stats they look at that a lot and there mm-hmm. is a you know five to ten percent difference sometimes and which side of the ice you're on so you know, they do care about it. Uh, so I, I don't think it would be a big enough thing to matter. I think if you have a guy that you think is better than Michael McLeod, get him off the, get him off the roster, but the coaching staff seems to think they do. And you're not changing coaches mid season. So no. give the coach the, the, the assets to play around with so that if he needs to make adjustments on the fly down the stretch or in the playoffs, then mm-hmm. he has the ability to do that. Um, yeah. And adding to the bottom six to give him some, some off ramps for that kind of stuff would I think be valuable. Yeah, and I think that I've argued at times saying that if we could get a little bit bigger on the bottom six, that would obviously go a long way in terms of being playoff ready. Even if we got a little bigger on the back end, not against it. I mean, we we do have guys like Kevin Ball and Nikita Ahutuk, but they are both incredibly young and are rookies. So it's a little bit harder to fully trust them, especially in a year where we're trying to get back into playoffs. And maybe, I mean, I don't know what the mindset is for the Devils once they get into playoffs. I'm sure it'll be to try to go as far as they possibly can, but I don't know what the expectation for the team is once they get into the postseason in terms of do they feel that this is their best shot to win a cup? I I doubt completely that that is what they're thinking would be, um, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. And I and I mentioned like, you know, if the Devils end up not getting Timo Meyer, but make a couple other moves to make their bottom six stronger, maybe a little bit more consistent and just make the whole team, you know, as a whole be better, I think that would also you know, please Devils fans. I know that people are worried about Timo going to like the Rangers or something like that. I get that. I totally understand. You don't want your rivals and also teams in your own division to get stronger, but that is going to happen. I mean, the Islanders, they didn't get a whole lot stronger, but they certainly got a guy like, you know, Bo Horvat, a 30 plus goal scorer at this point, you know, trying to help them on the 
on the offense um, and things like that. But I think that the Devils have to look at it as also we have to look at, like you mentioned, look at it long term. Does Timo fit what we're trying to do long term? In many ways, he does. But are we going to feel comfortable giving him what he's asking for? I don't know what he's asking for. The Sharks haven't even really talked to him about an extension. Um, and they're, you know, his agent, Claude Lemieux, former devil, um, has gone and basically said so, that they haven't really talked about an extension at all with Timo. And nobody really has talked about what Timo's market could be if he ends up going to free agency. So again, all of these questions all of these things are, they have to be answered by the people that are obviously involved. And that is like, you know, Tom Fitzgerald and the Devils themselves, the Sharks themselves when it comes to the value and all that stuff. So it's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, my last question to you, CJ, is this because you mentioned coaching. Um, obviously, we got the news not too long ago that Andrew Burnett was, uh, was arrested uh, on a DOI in Florida. I don't think Devils fans, this really is that big of a deal. I mean, obviously it is a big deal in the sense of you don't want your coaches to be doing some stuff like that, but nobody got hurt. It seems like everything is, it's not, the, let's put it this way. It is not worst case scenario. I don't think Andrew Burnett's going to get fired over it. I don't think this is something that, you know, we should spend too much time talking about because it is kind of more personal news than it really, I don't know why it's being brought up this much over the last hour. It's kind of a question mark about that, but I want to talk to you really quickly about Lindy Ruff because I feel like, you know, if you remember, you know, we started the season with fire Lindy after two games, you know, everything like that. And now we're at, you know, this kind of curious situation with him. He's on the last year of his contract, you know, Andrew Burnett, associate coach kind of winning in the wing, almost in a funny way. Like overall, what do you think of Lindy Ruff and what the future could be for him in New Jersey? Yeah, so let's just at the onset, I th we're I think we're still getting a little bit of information there about the the brunette situation. So, uh, yeah. you know, the we're we're oper this is just breaking. Like I just got the push notification about it, uh, probably right around <laughs> when you did. So, uh, right. you know, there there might be more information that comes out by the time this airs, in which case it might render some of this, uh, you know, immediately obsolete, uh, and what we say might be taken out yeah. of context. So I just wanted to plant a little flag in there just in case. We and do I do want to mention that the Devils actually released a statement, and this is according okay. to Ryan Novazinski of NJ.com. He said, the Devils said, we are aware of the reports today regarding Andrew Burnett and are currently in the process of gathering additional information. Um, and that's pretty much it. But I, I don't know. We, we don't have a whole lot of information except in the article that the reporter from Florida put out said that this is not the first time that Andrew Burnett has had uh, a run-in with the law. Again, nothing that he has done has been what is considered to be over-the-top major, like he didn't kill anybody or anything like that. But it is definitely a little bit of a concern um, to mention. Uh, so we'll see how things go over the next couple of days and see how everything progresses with that. Yeah, so I, I mean, listen, it's... Uh, again, we don't have all the information, but if that is a recurring uh, concern, then I do think that that would factor into what their um, immediate long-term plans would be somewhat, you know, um, you know, if you're hitching your, you, you know, your ride to one guy and say, this is going to be the guy we have moving forward. And I do think that he was, you know, is slash was, um, you know, tr kind of perceived as the, the natural successor uh, given his slightly unorthodox title, Right of uh, the, what was it? Associate coach. Associate coach. He's right? not an assistant. He is an associate. Exactly, coach. which is not seen a lot. Uh, in, right. In the NHL, so I, think I think we're the only team in the NHL that has an associate. coach. Yeah, exactly. So clearly, yeah. that's an indication that he's something a little bit more than just an assistant, right? Right. Um, so uh, I think the the question was kind of twofold, which was, you know, what is the the future look like, and just what are the thoughts on Lindy in general, right? So first of all, I mean, I think that Lindy Ruff's uh, system was at at maximum and is at maximum an excellent system that is modern in uh, you know in its philosophy. Uh, mm -hmm. It is progressive in how it activates all five players in a relatively positionless manner. The defense, the defensemen act like forwards a lot. The forwards <laughs> back check the hell out of the out of the play. And at times, you see Dougie Hamilton in Dougie the left Hamilton's corner yeah, behind the net. He does not play. I've told people before, <laughs> we did not sign Dougie Hamilton to play defense. Yeah, that's for sure. And you he, can see it. Yeah, Dougie Hamilton's like wrapping around, right? Like he's, <laughs> he's yeah, exactly. So, 
I think that Lindy Ruff's system, which is now, you know, he, he started this system. It didn't look like this system when he started, but it was, it was, right. just, we didn't have the horses to carry through on, on the idea. So I think that he, he looks pretty smart in retrospect because he kind of saw the way that the NHL was headed and the way this team was being built mm-hmm. uh, in, in concert with probably uh, either Ray Shiro or Tom Fitzgerald, depending uh, on exactly what conversations were going on there. Um, so I think he looks pretty good at, so that was at, at maximum, it's extremely prescient and he deserves a ton of credit, but at minimum, it was one Andrew Brunette away from being good. Right. Right. <laughs> so at minimum, yeah. you could say that, you know, Andrew Burnett did what he did in Florida. And a lot of what we do looks quite a bit like what they were doing in Florida, both from mm-hmm. an analytical perspective in terms of us dominating shots and chances and from a film perspective in our constant desire to pull the puck away from the boards and to play the puck into space and let right. our speed uh, do the work. So I think that um, I think that it's been it's part of why we're so successful is because we finally have a good communication between the players, the coach and the guys doing the acquiring of talent in terms of exactly what this system should look like when it's successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think both Brunette and Ruff are a part of that. And if Ruff is able to keep going, I don't see I, I wouldn't be trying to edge him out at the moment. I think that the team right. is working well through his leadership. He's been there before. We have a young team having a coach that's been around um, is is beneficial and having a voice like Brunette on the bench uh is you know i think that some of the guys like jack like that jack likes to have a guy who was uh, you know a, a forward in the nhl relatively recently knows what it's like that's why he liked mark recce you know right. i didn't like mark recce but but jack did most right. of us didn't <laughs> yeah so um so I, I i think that the coaching staff works fine the way that it is right now um it might not forever but right. at the moment, I, I I wouldn't feel the need to make a change for next year. Uh, I, I'm I'm content to have everyone resume their current roles. You know the the brunette situation notwithstanding. And that's kind of the way I would look at it as well. I mean, it's you know Lindy Ruff. I think if the Devils were to keep him moving forward, I wouldn't be against it because of the success the Devils have had this year. Obviously, you're hoping that if it's if you're going to continue to stick with Lindy, that his system continues to benefit the team that you have in front of. Front of him because what makes a great coach, in my opinion, is knowing the players you have and creating a system that works well with the team you have. And that's what has generated a lot of the success for this Devils team. Like he finally has a nucleus of guys that understand his system, that have played in it for a couple of years and obviously get the flow. And that's why the success in Dallas happened. That's why the success happened in Buffalo for as long as it was as well, because eventually he was able to have a group of guys that really understood what he was going for. And then the rest of the team kind of followed suit. And that's what you're seeing here in New Jersey. And again, yeah, with Andrew Burnett, obviously, you know, if the Devils decide to move forward with Andrew Burnett and then make him the head coach going to next year, I don't think people would be against that either. He's been here for a year. He understands the off the offensive abilities and he understands what needs to be done. Uh, he could keep the coaching staff that we have because I think the coaching staff, you know, has been pretty solid. I mean, Ryan McGill has done a really good job of helping the Devils defense overall improve. Not recently, but certainly I think overall as a whole, it's certainly improved. Um, bringing in Sergey Breland as an eye in the sky for the most part, I think has been really good. Um, you know, I think overall it's just been, it's, it's been very good. And you obviously don't want to rock the boat right now. Um, Devils may not have a choice consider, you know, depending on what happens with this whole Andrew Burnett situation. But I think overall it's definitely, uh, it's definitely been good. So we will see how the Devils progress here as now we're into the month of February. We are still, you know, beginning to get ready for the all-star uh, festivities and then obviously next uh, next Tuesday or Monday the Devils will be back at home against the Vancouver Canucks so that'll be very interesting to see uh, how everything goes down with that but uh, CJ my friend thank you so much for coming on today we really do appreciate it but before I let you go because I do this with all my guests I kind of roll out the red carpet and uh, give uh, give my my guests an opportunity to kind of you know let the people know where they can follow them and anything they got going on so the floor is yours my friend yeah, so I this is the first uh, season in uh, since I started writing that I don't write regularly for any blog. If I am right, if I do have uh, long form thoughts that I need to get out, it'll probably be on Infernal Access, which is Todd Cordell's blog, it's a subscription blog. Um, 
And uh, but if not, then generally speaking, where you can find me is at my Twitter account, which is at CJT Devil. Uh, that's where I tend to tweet out any charts, graphs, or generic hot takes uh, that pertaining to the current Devils team. So you can find me there. Awesome, man. Well, CJ, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on the, the podcast. We do appreciate it. And we'll definitely have you on uh, again down the road. But thank you so much for today. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Devils fans, I got to tell you something, honestly. This time of the year, everyone's talking about making big changes, which is all well and good, but most of the time, pretty unrealistic. And the typical ones, especially for me personally, is, you know, going to the gym consistently and doing things like working out four or five times a week, you know, all those unrealistic type of expectations that we all know usually never last very long. I've actually found one, though, that the smallest changes to your routine can make the biggest impact in the same way you don't have to break the bank to make a big deal purchase. Even the smallest things can be part of a big change if it's something you use every day, like my Raycon earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point so you can build great habits without breaking the bank. Some of the things that I really love to do using my earbuds is when I do intense workouts at the gym or if I'm just, you know, on the move somewhere. And especially when I'm on the go and I'm relaxing on the train or the bus or everything, just all the features that Raycon gets to give you the most comfortable and also the best type of quality at a very, very reasonable price. Whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low latency gaming headphones, or a speaker with a battery that will last all night at your next party, Raycon has definitely got you covered. And yet, Raycon start at a half the price of other premium audio. So you don't even have to choose between products. You could get one of each or a pair and a spare and still pay less than what you would with some of the other guys. And I have multiple. So for me, I have ones that I use at home. I have ones that I use on the go and they all work the same way. And it's tremendous, especially knowing that not only are they premium audio, but I'm paying a lot less for them. And that is great. Even if you know you'll love your Raycons as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure you feel great about your purchase. They offer buy now or pay later options, and every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee. There's also a handful of really awesome features, and the two that really stand out to me are noise isolation, especially if you're using them to try to study or try to focus on something and you don't really want to be bugged. You know, the noise cancellation is great. I also really love the custom gel tips for the perfect, most comfortable in-ear fit. You know, you can shake your head around and everything like that and they won't fall out and you don't have to worry about that which is awesome i also love the water and sweat resistant especially like i mentioned before when you're at the gym so honestly this is all tremendous what what, what raycon has to offer and if you're ready to buy something small with a big impact you go to buyraycon.com slash thpn today to get 15 percent off your raycon order that's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN.